Hello and welcome to episode 226 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna, Virginia. This is Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox in Los Angeles. Yeah, I'm in Los Angeles and we have a special guest. We do. Shay Daly, where are you, Shay? I am in Dayton, Ohio. All righty. Um, we're excited to have you on the show. How are you feeling? I'm pretty good. It's great to be here. Cool. Um, so we're going to talk to Shay, who's an LSAT tutor for us on the Demon and for Nathan and a 1L. Um, and sh- we're going to hear all about that exciting stuff. And then we'll eventually jump into some pearls versus turds where we try to assess some received wisdom. And then we have another question here about should I study for the LSAT? Um, hmm. Okay. What that person is wondering, but and then uh, we have something about taking the LSAT abroad. Uh, that is a possibility, and we'll dive into that. This will air on Monday, January sixth, um, one week before the January LSAT, which is on the thirteenth. And then the registration deadline, whoa, will be tomorrow for you who, folks who are listening to this the day it comes out, Tuesday, January 7th. That's the registration deadline for the February LSAT, which is on February 22nd. If you have questions, you can always email the show at help at thinkinglsat.com. Send us your selfies if you're so inclined. Leave us a review on iTunes. Yeah, with that, I'd say we turn our attention to you, Shay. Tell us a little bit more about you and your situation and where you're going to law school and also what you're juggling right now as you go to law school. Yeah. Uh, so I am currently living in Dayton, Ohio still. I, but I go up to Columbus, Ohio for law school. So I go to Moritz College of Law. Um, I am engaged and originally planned on going to a part-time program here in Dayton, Ohio, until uh, some of the offers came through and then debated uh, where to go from there. So I guess my situation is just basically I was working full-time before when I was studying for the LSAT, and that's why I was debating some part-time programs because it was you know hard to give up a full-time income. Um, but scholarship helped with that a lot. So definitely getting the LSAT up uh, helped with that situation. And that was a big thanks to the podcast. Um, I found it after like two months of studying for the LSAT and then I used it for the remainder of my studying, which really helped. But currently I'm a 1L. I'm also um, still in the the Air Force Reserves. So I'm having to do that military time while I'm in law school and then also tutoring for you guys. Uh, So that on Thursdays and Sundays for the Demon and then Sometimes for Nathan, I do private tutoring as well. So juggling all those things, but it's been an adjustment for sure from going to working full-time. I was eight years out of high school before I went to law school, and my undergraduate was online. Hmm. So it's, it's been an adjustment, but it's been a, it's been a good one. I'm happy with it. So yeah, a non-traditional so you, student, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of people say that the first semester is the hardest and you're done with the first semester now. What's your feeling about that? I hope that's true. <laughs> um, it's. I do feel like the big part of the first semester is the learning curve of figuring out exactly what works for you. Because there's multiple times that I would, you know, start outlining a certain way or start with a certain study plan and realize it just wasn't the best option. 
So I think that was one of the hardest parts of the first semester. I don't have my grades back yet. We don't get them back until about mid-January. Um, so I don't know how well that <laughs> that worked or how hard it necessarily was, um, depending on how my grades were. I may think it was harder than I think it is now. But I overall, it was a good experience for the first semester. It was just very, very long days. Um, I People told me law school the first semester was hard, but I didn't really completely believe how true that was <laughs> um, because I had worked full-time while going to school full-time and taking care of um, family members before. So I'm like, oh, a busy schedule. I'm used to that. But it's a completely new ball game with the mental uh, workout you're doing all day. Let's just uh, back up and take a quick reset. You said Moritz College of Law in Columbus? Yes, yeah, so that's... Which- uh, yeah, for people who don't know, that's the Ohio State University. It is. It is. Are you required to say the Ohio State every time? I mean, they haven't told us we're required, but when they, <laughs> I think they actually tried to copyright the there for a second. So I'm, they, people definitely uh, stress <laughs> the Ohio State University, but the, the law school more goes by Moritz, so we don't hear it as much. Thank God. That's like the most <laughs> obnoxious thing that anyone ever does. Um, and let's not talk about Ohio State that much after that game last night. I don't know how much y'all watch football, but that was a, a sad loss last night. Wait, who did they play? Uh, we played Clemson last night in the semifinals and, oh. and lost. Very oh. close game. So what, it's Clemson and LSU in the title game? It is, yeah. LSU is unstoppable. Uh, so is Clemson. I think there are now 29 games undefeated, so uh, it should be a good game. Did Clemson score a bazillion points like LSU did? Oh, no. No, it was a much closer game. I think we were ahead 13-0, and then right before halftime, they came back to, I think it ended up being like 16-14, to 14, but we were in the lead, and they ended up winning by less than a touchdown. So I think oh. it was the final score was 28-22, to 22, somewhere in there. So it was a really close game. I never thought that college football would make it to the Thinking Else Out podcast. But um, <laughs> so, Shay, you are uh, a 1L at Ohio State University, uh, Moritz Law. That school has a 75th percentile LSAT of 163 and a 25th percentile LSAT of 157. Undergraduate GPA, uh, 75th percentile, 3.91, and a 25th percentile undergraduate GPA of 3.55. You're a non-traditional student. How do your uh, numbers stack up against that? So my LSAT was above the 75th percentile. It was a 172. Um, My GPA was in the middle of that. So like I said, I was juggling work full-time while going to school full-time. I think my GPA was a 3.68. so right in the middle of that, but I ended up getting an amazing offer from them, even with not being above their 75th with both of my stats. So that's what made my decision to switch from a part-time program to a full-time program when I got the full-ride offer. And I see that uh, the school does not offer any conditional scholarships, or at least they didn't uh, a couple they years don't. ago. Yeah, they don't, from my understanding. I haven't heard anyone talk about it. And I'm can say that I am 100% happy with the school. I, there's been multiple things that have happened where, yeah, they, they don't do conditional scholarship. It just seems like they're, they're really stressed their morals of trying to not screw people out of money. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like almost nobody transfers in and almost nobody transfers out of the school. Does that seem right? 
It seems right from what I've heard. I think last semester only one person dropped out after first semester, and that was before they even got grades back. They just decided it wasn't for them. And I haven't heard of much more than that. So most people I talk to are really happy um, with the opportunities. The networking there and everything they do really helps you branch out and get jobs. So I'm not surprised that many people don't transfer out. What classes did you have in your uh, first semester? I had crim law, civil procedure, torts, and legal analysis and writing. And one thing that Moritz actually does that I think it's the only law school that does it right now is they actually let you take electives your first year. Um, There are specific electives for 1Ls, and they're only pass-fail compared to the other classes that are uh, graded on the curve. So I had criminal law in practice this semester, which was one of my... um, one of my electives where I actually got to do like a bail hearing and a sentencing hearing and different things like that, which was cool. Actual lawyer shit. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. I mean, it wasn't a real sentencing hearing in a court, but we had different cases that we had to uh, present to the judge, which was our professor. Um, and it was, yeah, it was actual lawyer stuff. Being able to do it instead of just read about it was nice. You had that in addition to like normal crim? Yes. Yeah, so that was just an elective. It was only one credit hour. Um, and then I have one credit hour elective next semester as well, which is about Serial, the podcast, which I haven't listened to, but I hear is great. Oh, wow. um, yeah, so they, they have like 20 different electives or somewhere around there that you actually rank your top choices before you start the semester. And then they try to give everyone their top choices. And it was different than Crim Law because Crim Law focused more on the the basic foundations and criminal law and practice focused on more of what we would be doing in a courtroom. So how many people were in your, um, like your lecture classes, crim, civ, pro, torts, how many people were in the room? Uh, for our large section, it was about 70, uh, I think 70 per section. And we have three sections. And then for, we actually have one small section class the first semester we did, which was actually crim law. So that was split between two. So there was about 30 to 35 people in each of those. Huh, never heard of that before. What's Do you, do you know what the point is? Um, I think their reasoning for doing that, or at least I'm guessing, because that's the one we have our midterm in. It's the only one we have a midterm. So they, are tr- they try to give us an opportunity to learn what a law school exam is before doing our final. So we have a one-hour midterm in our small section, because we don't have small sections next semester. So I'm guessing that's the main reason for it. It still sounds really familiar to what my 1L experience was in the first semester of my 1L, we had one midterm in one class. I think for me it was in CivPro, but we had one midterm that was worth like 15% of our grade maybe. That's about what our, I think it's 10 or 15 is what ours is. So that's very similar. And then the rest of it is just all based on, you just have uh, essay finals for these classes or was there any multiple choice? Uh, There was multiple choice on two of my big finals. Um, So certain classes also had, the ones that didn't have midterms, um, had 10% for like participation and then 90% of the grade is based on finals or something along those lines. Each class was different. But the the finals for uh, civil procedure and criminal law both had multiple choice and essay questions and then torts only had essay questions. And they were three or four hours long. Cool. So you're heading into your second semester of your 1L year and you have absolutely no idea how you're doing. Right. 
it's <laughs> yeah, I, it's weird because I feel like I did well, but with the curve, only thirty percent of people get A's. So even if we all wrote A papers, I could feel good about it, and so could everyone else, and I could actually get a C. Don't know yet. Yeah, <laughs> that's how it goes. <laughs> it's something important to understand, though, because anyone considering a conditional scholarship has got to realize that there's like necessary constraints on how many people can succeed and keep those scholarships really. Yeah. And I, I've seen that a little bit on, on Reddit where, you know, get on there and see the memes about law school. And some people have said, well, I passed at least, but I didn't keep my scholarship because a lot of them had to keep like a 3.0 scholarship. But in law school, that's not so easy, especially when you're competing with people who are all used to getting A's for the most part are A's and B's. So yeah, I, I've seen a couple people have to struggle with at that point, decide whether to stay and just take out loans or, or not finish law school. Not at Moritz, luckily. That's good. Uh, you know, it's funny, you guys were talking about these smaller classes. I had this, I had a sim- similar experience. Um, I took, mine was also Civ Pro. And as soon as you mentioned that, Nathan, it took me back to my first day <laughs> of class when they teacher called on me and I was sitting in the front row and I hadn't read the case and it was about like taking two bites at the apple. That's all I remember. But, um, you know, the professor started asking me questions about the case and I decided to pretend that I had read it. It was, it was a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, well, what do you think about this? And I'm like, well, of course. I mean, that doesn't make any sense, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh really, Mr. Olson? Well, you know, it's interesting that the case later went on to say this. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, clearly. <clears throat> and he's like, he just let me, you know, suffer for like three minutes and then That's went on horrible. to somebody I'm else. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, it's okay. It's my own fault. I, one, didn't read it, and two, uh, pretended to have read it. <laughs> so, it's why, the worst thing you can do. <laughs> yeah. Why did you not do your reading, Ben? Um, asking this many years later I have no idea but I'm <laughs> guessing you know good old procrastination it's so out of character I know well you know I came from an econ background which was like I did a lot of procrastinating there too and I don't know that I understood necessarily a lot of what was going on but I could do the math so I would basically do the problems and then look at the answer and be like oh yeah I got to the right result so I was really good at like doing math problems, but that's not a lot of reading. Even in econ, you don't have as much reading as you do in law school, but not nearly as much. But I didn't even do that reading. I would just do the math problems and then look at the answer and be like, oh, I got it right. Okay. Or I got it wrong. What did I do wrong in my equation? So then in law school, I was like this whole reading thing. I was like, oh, no, I'll just do the problems. But there <laughs> wasn't problems. And yeah, really, um, yeah, it was interesting. But how, I, I slowly figured it out. Yeah, how were your grades in law school? Um, they weren't bad, but I certainly struggled at first transitioning from a more math-oriented major because I actually did the well, it's I did the the BS version of econ, and so it was a much more math-intensive program but anyways yeah you know transitioned slowly over time but on my first day i got called out on twice i think it's because olsen is in the middle of the alphabet two different classes 
It was, I think, by the end. We kind of rotated like with the same group of people. Shay, are you like taking classes with the same set of students, or is it different for each class? No, it's a, it's the same set. So we had the same seventy students in each one, and, and our our section is pretty uh, pretty close. Actually, we had like a friendsgiving all together. It was it was nice. But the same thing ha- happened to a lot of people in our class is when they yeah. would be called in one class, they'd be called in the other. So a lot of us wondered, do the professors talk? And like, this is the day we're going to cold call these people. Um, yeah. <laughs> because a lot of times, they, you, if you got cold called in one class, you're like, oh no, this is going to be a bad day. <laughs> and you would get cold called in at least one of the other classes usually. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't, it, it was, since it was our first day, I think a lot of people were hypersensitive. So after I totally botched it in Civ Pro and then got called on again in contracts, People, some people started laughing because I think I was the first person called to in both classes, which was odd. So I was like, okay, okay, I get it. I should read and actually know what I'm talking about. Shay, um, who's the worst person in your section? Uh, there's not, <laughs> there's Wait, not a worst, there's <laughs> not a worst person. Are you talking about gunners? Um, <laughs> I mean, we one thing that's kind of interesting about our section, and I can only speak to our section, and we've all talked about this before, is there are cold calls. We get cold called quite a bit, but people raise their hands quite a bit too and and actually answer questions when people are struggling and uh, different things like that. So I, I almost feel like our section most of the time wasn't scared for cold calls except for in Civ Pro because no one understood what was going on in Civ Pro. Um, so everyone was scared to get called on in that one. But I mean, we have people who raise their hand more often than others, but not in like a, it really wasn't in a negative way. You're not going to put anybody on blast? No, not Surely doing that. Surely there's that one guy <laughs> in your class that you don't like. No, honest, honestly, like we all have different, different opinions a lot. I don't get out socially as much um, because I come back home to Dayton every weekend. So maybe I would have more people I'd, didn't like if I went out socially a lot, but with classroom wise, and we all talk quite a bit, we, even though some people have differing opinions, everyone seems to respect each other quite a bit. So there's not one person that I don't like in the class, but I'm sure there, if I went out more, there may be. (laughs) Uh, You can tell us after the show. It's fine. We understand. (laughs) Um, You, so, okay. So you were in the uh, Air Force Reserves before you started law school? You're still in the reserves? Yes. So I've been in the Air Force Reserves straight out of high school. So um, I, you know, my family's very patriotic. A lot of them have served in the military, Army, Marines, um, one Air Force. And so I, I knew I wanted to join in some capacity. Plus, I wanted help with uh, tuition because I didn't have any other help outside of um, what I would be paying or taking out loans. And I didn't want any student loans. So I went to the Air Force right away. And I was in, I think, about six years before I started college. So with the reserves, you actually have to build up your active duty time for your GI Bill amount to to go up, and which is partially what pays for uh, school. It's one of our benefits. But yeah, so I was in the reserves, but I was full time as an air reserve technician for about five of those eight years before I went to, before I left and actually worked as a paralegal for a little bit before going to law school. But yeah, so I'm still in the reserves. I've been in, it'll be 10 years in April. Wow. And why the hell 
are you going to law school? <laughs> well, I, I've always probably, as cliche as it says, always, especially in high school, knew I wanted to go be a lawyer. I, when I was looking at colleges, I got accepted into a paralegal program to start out, or I was going to go into the military. So that's the two things I was debating. I've always had a real passion for the criminal justice system. So if I wasn't going to be a lawyer, it prob- I'd probably go be an investigator of some sort or something along those lines. So for the most part, I'm pretty sure I'm planning on doing criminal law um, because my undergrad was in criminal justice. I worked as a criminal paralegal, but I'm keeping an open mind. So kind of always wanted to do something with the criminal justice system, and I just felt like I could do more as an attorney than as an investigator. So that's why I kind of went that route. Do you know where that passion for the criminal justice system started? Like, I... I it, you know, criminal justice is not for the faint-hearted. What? Yeah, I don't. I don't know specifically what started it. I. I mean, I lo- watched a lot of TV shows with with uh, my grandparents and stuff growing up. That were, um, what was that show that they used to try to America's Most Wanted and different things like that growing up. So I was just I seen it a lot when I was young and them trying to, I guess, catch the bad guy, as cliche as that sounds. And then I just learned more about it. Um, I also have family members who were in the prison system. So I guess that, that may be part of it as well. Um, and I've seen both the good and bad sides of what that can do, how you know prison systems can actually sometimes help the people that are in there with getting degrees or different things like that. But it can also really stigmatize them when they get out. Um, to where they can't get a job. So I've seen a lot of family members um, go through that. So maybe that's a part of where it comes from as well. Hmm. Okay. So when you get out, do you think you're going to be able to, are, are you going to stay in the Air Force or Air Force Reserves? Do you do you plan to try to combine the two together, military and law? I do. Um, I would like to, on the reserve side, do JAG. I don't want to do full-time active duty. I, I moved a lot when I was younger, so I just don't want to be told where to move every two to four years. Um, so that's why I decided to go reserves instead of active duty. So I want to stay in the Ohio area. Um, so I'd like to do JAG. And then my debate right now, if I don't do criminal law, I, I worked on airplanes as a maintainer as my for my entire Air Force career. So I'm looking at potentially working for like Lockheed Martin or Boeing or one of the companies that work with aviation um, in their legal department, I'm looking at trying to do an internship with them to see if that's something I'd also be interested in. So I may combine it in that way of just kind of my experience in the past, bringing it into a legal field, but I'll definitely stay in the reserves at least 20 years to get my retirement, um, but maybe longer. Wow. You want to talk a little bit, Shay, about your LSAT prep and how you got to that 172? People are always interested, like starting score, what materials you used, how you studied, how long you studied, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So I had not found the podcast at first. I didn't realize when I did my first diagnostic that I should have timed it, which sounds so simple now that I've been, you know, studying or teaching or tutoring for two years, the LSAT. But I didn't time my first test. So untimed, I got a 160. I don't know what that would have been in a timed manner, but I know it would have been lower than that. That's still a pretty damn good starting spot, though. I mean, there's a lot of people that, even with unlimited time, would never score 160. So that's still a pretty good start. Yeah, I was really happy with it. I had actually looked at uh, Ohio State's ABA 509, 
um, before I took my first test and was like, okay, what do I need to get into Ohio State? That's my dream. Um, one of my dream schools, that and Harvard as well. So I looked at both of those. And I looked at it and saw that I think it was 163 or 162 for the 75th percentile at the time. And then I took my test and I was like, as long as I get a 160, I'll be happy before I took it. And I was like, oh, maybe I should shoot for a little higher after <laughs> I took that and realized that I could, um, that's a real possibility I could get into that school. So I looked at, you know, I ordered all kinds of books. I initially started studying with the Power Score books uh, before I found the podcast. And at this point, I was new at studying. So I actually made a group on Facebook. Uh, I don't remember exactly what it was called at the time, but I basically said, hey, is there a group of people that would like to study uh, together, you know, once a week meet up and just talk about the LSAT and maybe explain things to each other. So I thought it was going to be a group of like 10 to 15 people. And now I think it's almost got 4,000 people in it. But that's how I kind of started. And that's a person in that group actually told me about the podcast. And I was not making much progress, at, if at all. Maybe a little bit in logical reasoning from the Power Score books, but none with logic games and none with reading comp. And so when I started listening to the podcast, I had a 30-minute drive to work every day. And so I would listen to the podcast back and forth to work if I was doing the dishes, whatever. I think there was probably like 130 episodes at the time. And uh, listened to all of them before my first my first uh, LSAT and went back and actually listened to some of them twice for reading comp because that was my weakness at first. And so that's, I went from there and then I took Nathan's online class because there was not the LSAT demon back then, unfortunately. Um, I really wish I would have had that. But it, I took your online class. So I'd come home at night with my books and there was the uh, virtual tutoring once a week for the extra help. So I showed up to those. A lot of times I was at work. Um, I don't know if you remember, but I would like, it'd be pitch black outside and we'd be sitting in a truck out on the flight line. Yeah, I, just, <laughs> I totally remember that. And um, I'd just be sitting there listening to explanations and bring all my books with me to work, which would be, you know, the demon. Now you can have it all on your phone. But um, I just made sure to stay consistent. I got a planner, um, especially with the busy schedule I had at the time. I was still going to school online full time, working full time and had a family member in hospice. So I, I had to plan every single day my time out on a calendar and mark it off to make sure I got it done. And I tell a lot of my, my students all the time and people who show up to the extra helps, like get a planner and plan that out um, because you're more likely to do it if, if you set it on there. And also it'll help you once you're in law school because law school, you have all this extra time and you have to just choose when to study and when not to. And it, I feel like planning for studying for the LSAT helped me also be able to plan while I'm in law school as well. <laughs> I mean, being a military gal, <laughs> I think helped you in the first place, right? There's a reason why, law schools are so high on military people with military background because y'all just have a work ethic that lots of civilians just don't really have. I've heard that as well. So that, I think that does help. And, you know, having the discipline that you have to have, um, in the military probably helped as well. So it, it could have helped from that. Um, but maybe that's where I also got a little bit of my, you know, scheduling uh, habits. And so I just try to tell everyone to schedule everything out that you can because 
in the military, if you miss something, you get, you know, there's repercussions for it, even if it's something very simple. So I got very used to writing things down on a schedule to make sure I didn't miss anything if I just forgot about it. Um, so yeah, maybe that, that contributed to it as well. <laughs> repercussions <laughs> like what? Uh, so there's things called like letters of uh, counseling, letters of reprimand, um, things that just go into your uh, into your file for when each year you get evaluated on how you did the past year work-wise and community-wise and school-wise and different things like that. And that report actually helps decide whether or not you get promoted. And if you get promoted compared to your peers, depending on how you did that past year, the past couple years with those reports. So um, if you have letters of counseling or letters of reprimand or even worse above that is an Article 15, you're, you're less likely to get promoted and also you could lose stripes. Um, so right now I'm in E6, but you could, if you get in trouble for something that's a certain level, like an LOR or an Article 15, you could lose stripes or pay, um, which could affect your, your long-term career as well. So. <laughs> I, 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 what do you think, Ben? I mean, I'm thinking like everyone should be required to go into the military before they go to <laughs> law school. It's just like not even fair to, for people to compete with that. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting uh, system. I, I imagine to some people it m- may sound harsh, but it's got to have a lot of positive benefits. Yeah, and they, I mean, making they move- it very clear like what the consequences are for certain behavior i don't know yeah some things you i mean most things just start out with like a letter of counseling which is the lowest level i mean certain things like you know duis or um different you know more higher level offenses that you do could get you actually out of the military as well so Mm -hmm. yeah it it definitely most of the time i would say as long as supervision is using it in the correct way it's it's a pretty fair system It's just, it sounds so, it's, it's, it just sounds like so, um, serious. It sounds so <laughs> grown up. Like if you compare, I mean, cause I know there's a lot of like very young people in the service, mm-hmm. but it's just like, if you compare the typical kid who, you know, just graduated from, I don't know, UC Berkeley or whatever. And, you know, and now they're 22 or whatever, and they just graduated, or 21, 22, and they just graduated from Berkeley. And you compare that to somebody who's like been in the service since they were 18. <laughs> the last four years of the of that person's life is, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, at Berkeley or whatever, I went to UC Davis, I'm kind of, you know, extrapolating to all the rest of the UCs, but you can just totally not go to class, not do anything. It doesn't matter. You know, like there's no, it's just no serious consequences. You can probably pass all your classes and it just, there's no, I don't know. There's no, like you're not a real grown up. I have heard a lot of, a lot of my classmates talk about that, how it's weird because in their undergrad, they didn't have to show up for every class that, um, and that now if they feel like if they miss one class, they've missed like an insane amount that they shouldn't have missed. And I mean, there, there is a wide range, even in just my section. I think our youngest person is 20 and our oldest person is uh, like in their early 30s or mid 30s. Um, so I'm I'm 27. So I'm right there in the middle of that. But 
So there is a wide range of, you know, different experiences and, and probably even maturity levels because of just life experience. Oh, the people that are straight out of undergrad. I mean, everybody thinks that those kids have like an advantage because they're used to studying or whatever. But I think that when you're 21 or 22 in law school, you're just purely at a disadvantage because you've never, you have no idea what it's like to actually have like a job or a boss or for you, you've got like some commanding officer like yelling at you, you know, (laughs) like actually forcing you to do shit. And uh, if you just like come straight out of a normal undergrad, you've never had that potentially in your entire life. You don't, you don't like, I just remember when I was in one L, I remember the kids that were like showing up to class, you know, that we'd have the first, I'm sure it's the same for you, Shay. Like the first class sometimes is not till like noon or almost noon or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. And you've got like one class that day or maybe two, maybe two classes that day. But I remember like the kids straight out of undergrad just being like acting like it was so stressful. They were like so put upon. Oh, my God. Wow. I got got two classes today. Oh, no. And then just looking at like because I was a little older and looking around at like the other people who are a little bit older. And it was like, well, that's a hell of a lot better than having an actual job where you have to show up at eight in the morning, (laughs) like be there all day and work your ass off. Yeah, and I, I will say the commanders don't normally yell at you uh, after basic training. Basic training, you do get yelled <laughs> at a lot. But after that, unless you've done something really bad, they're not just going to come yell at you. But yeah, at school, I will say the one downside to Moritz, where I'm at, our first class this semester for most days was 1030. Um, to get parking, I had to be there by 7. So I would be there by what? 7 o'clock. Every- yeah, no, it's the parking is ridiculous at Ohio State. So I would get there at 7 a.m. every morning and just study until class. But there were some people who lived right across the street that could just walk over at 10 o'clock and, you know, or 10, 15. Um, Are you talking yeah. about Ohio State or the, Ho- the oh, Ohio sorry, State? Sorry, sorry, <laughs> the Ohio State. You I apologize. I might not be able to go to law school next semester. <laughs> That's funny. So, uh, so showing up, the, I mean, you know, you're doing it like a boss, Shay, because showing up at 7 and just studying you know, you're, you've, you're so three quarters of your day is over by the time you get out of that first class. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or about probably about half. Cause I usually stay there until later too, because if I go home, I'm going to turn on, turn on Netflix. I'm not going to study. Yeah. Um, so usually, I mean, during finals, we stay there a lot longer, but I mean, a usual day I'd stay there until, you know, 6 PM or so and then head home. Monday through um, Friday? Uh, Yeah. Last semester, but this semester I only have classes through Thursday. But yeah, Monday through Friday, I was usually there from about seven to to six or seven. Some sometimes Jesus later. Jesus Christ! Yeah, um, I mean, it. There's a lot of. I would read for the next day. So when I would go home at seven, though, it would, it's not. It's not like I'd be going home and reading more. When I go home, I would you know make dinner, watch TV, those type of things, and try to put that separation. Then on Thursdays, I usually stay there later because I stay there until nine to have a study room with a whiteboard um, to start the tutoring. So I don't leave until about 11 PM on those nights, but yeah. (laughs) So, okay. So we're looking at 12 hour days, five days a week, plus a little bit extra when you're doing the extra help for the demon, which we should talk about uh, in just a second. Plus uh, Saturdays, Sundays. 
so I, I'll do a little bit over the weekend, but that's why I stay so long during the week is when I come home on the weekend, uh, me and the fiance like to work on cars or uh, the family wants to see me or it, those different things. So I, I do a little bit of studying normally more on Sundays, um, but I usually on Saturdays didn't touch anything. And then on Sundays, probably half the day, I would be preparing for, for Monday. <laughs> Ben, oh. you have anything to add? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like you've got got your system down. I mean, we'll um, see. I don't. I'll let. I'll make sure to send you an email. I mean, I could. It could be horrible. I don't know. I don't know my grades yet. Now, during finals, that's in a completely other thing. I mean, we were all there was a study group of us of five that were at the law school about fifteen hours a day, not like fifteen, yeah, sixteen hours a day studying leading up to finals. So, it. But that was only during finals. But I when I talked to. Uh, People going into law school, I'm like, having the discipline to be able to study for, you know, a couple hours a day definitely will come in handy because you'll be doing much more than that in law school. I mean, yeah, people cry about their circumstances now as they're trying to study for the LSAT. And they're like, either they're an undergrad or they have a job and they're trying to find time to study and yeah, and life doesn't stop in <laughs> law school. Like, I mean, those things have, there have been multiple things that have happened to me just in this semester where having a balance, there's, I mean, life still happens no matter whether you're in law school or studying for the LSAT or whatever. Um, and that's, that's why I had to make, I have to make a schedule because if not, you're just like, oh, it can wait until next week, which doesn't, it, it just keeps getting procrastinated. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm like shell shocked by the actual life of a 1L, and I just know that it gets worse. So <laughs> you um, just told me that the first semester they say is the worst, but I, I have actually, <laughs> I have. Yeah, wait. What I, do you mean it gets worse? You're saying when you go to to a law firm or something? Or yeah, you saying, you just, no. just your like your legal life is going to be worse than that. I mean, it just almost everybody, right? I suppose that there are some jobs that aren't that crazy, but. Well, if you do public interest and stuff, usually you can get some kind of eight, nine-hour job with state or the government or different things like that. Firms, definitely, they they say are crazy hours. But like the AUSAs that I worked for when I was a paralegal, um, which is, that's an assistant United States attorney, they worked for the government and they, they would work normal, you know, eight to five unless they had a trial coming up, which was only a couple times a year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are, don't get me wrong, there are some lawyer jobs out there that are like that, but I think people who are going down this path probably need to be prepared for the possibility that it's going to be like 12 hours a day for the rest of their lives. And big law is tempting. I don't even want to do big law, but everyone's over here talking about the paychecks that it, like, that it brings um, and the bonuses you get from going to big law. And it even makes someone who isn't interested in it really at all be like, huh, am I making... The right choice. I'm going to be making, you know, less than six figures a year, and they're going to be making over 200 grand a year. So yeah, it's even if you don't plan on going into big law, you could get into law school, and it could be very tempting. Well, just like people need to look at like conditional scholarships and what's actually required of you if you do get a scholarship. uh, When people are going to big law, they need to ask the same questions. You know, what are the minimum required billable hours? What's the culture? The culture is very 
decently from firm to firm. Now, granted, they're all big law firms, so you're going to be working long hours like Nathan is saying, but you can find different firms that have different like attitudes toward working, working on the weekend, working on holidays. And a lot of it comes down to what they expect your hours to be and whether they expect you to not only hit that minimum, but also hit whatever's required for the bonus. So different firms, different, different life, really. Yeah, but I think the ones that are paying you uh, two hundred grand a year, <laughs> they're gonna get their uh, pound of flesh out of you, right? They are. <laughs> they they, they gotta, they gotta make that money off. back. Yeah, yeah. For they sure. can have they can have varying, you know, scare quotes culture, but <laughs> the big <laughs> overarching culture is we make millions off of the backs of young attorneys right i mean that, that's like the way they make the big bucks is they work you to the bone by paying you 200 grand a year and billing you out for two million dollars a year uh, that's just the way the, that's the way the law firms work so we have some questions here uh a dot actually wrote some questions um she is Annalisa, our producer. She's uh, on her way to law school. She asked, uh, "What's the best way to spend your time between now and law school, Shay?" For people who are gonna, like, let's say they're gonna start this fall. They're gonna start in September. Let's say they're done. Ideally, at this point, if you're hearing this in January, ideally, all your applications are already in. Um, if you have eight months between now and starting law school, Shay, what would you recommend? Um, relax, make some healthy habits, go to the gym, get into a a routine if possible. Um, you're just, it's, I mean, I didn't have barely any time to work. And I love going to the gym. That's something that even when I worked and went to school full time, I made time for the gym. Um, I barely made it to the gym maybe 10 times a semester. So do what you enjoy. If that's reading for enjoyment, do it now because you're not going to want to open a book during law school um, outside of what you are required to read. I've heard a couple people have, but most are like, no, during winter break, I'm going to read a book because I haven't been able to read a book for fun um, since the summer. So whatever you enjoy, make time for it. Spend time with family. Make sure to prepare them for the lack of, of time you will have um, to, especially during finals, you know, I, I speak with uh, my family members on the phone quite a bit while I'm, I have Bluetooth that comes through my car. Um, so when I'm driving back and forth, I'll, I'll talk to them on the phone, but during finals, I like didn't talk to them at all. So just, I would let your family know they, they won't really understand even while you're probably going through law school, why you're, you don't have a lot of time, but Relax, read a book, go to the gym, make some healthy habits, um, because even if you have healthy habits, they might not stay consistent through law school. I know people who have been able to do that, though. So that's what I would do. I would just, there's there's not a lot of benefit to, I think, preparing for, like, a certain class, um, doing research or anything, because every professor teaches differently, too, for example, civil procedure, I've heard that um, other sections at my own school didn't focus on Erie, but for like two days. And we focused on Erie for like three or four weeks. And it was one of our big essay questions on the final exam. 
So until you take the class with the professor, you're not going to know what you need to focus on. Same thing with crim law. My professor actually, um, one of the amazing things about Moritz is it, Professor Dressler wrote the crim law book that a lot of um, law schools use. And I, I actually got to learn from him and he's pretty awesome. But then other professors had a completely different approach um, to criminal law. And so I wouldn't, and a lot of people have asked me like, oh, well, how can I prepare studying wise? And I really don't think you can too much because um, every professor teaches differently and emphasizes different things. So, Were you able to get the old uh, final exams? Um, for some professors, I don't think, well, I don't think I actually could get any old final exams from any of my professors except for each of them gave us one example of one they had done before and a sample answer. Um, but the thing about their sample answers, they even say, this was the best answer I got to it. It's not a perfect answer. So that's a hard thing to go off of. So what I mainly did is our law school, and I think a lot of law school have like banks of uh, exams in the library or online that you can access. And that's what we did. Um, we asked our professors for our study group, what do you recommend us using for studying? And a couple of them gave us a book that had multiple choice questions. And so we would go through the multiple choice questions and kind of study those and treat them as mini hypos. And then we would go online to the exam banks and just find exams by other professors and then just do them each ourselves and then talk about them out loud. And then if we had any questions or things we disagreed on, we would schedule a time with office hours for our professor and just ask those follow-up questions. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of work. It, yeah, it was. <laughs> um, let's uh, maybe wrap it up with, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about how it's been going with the um, extra help sessions for the demon? By the way, thanks for uh, doing those. Absolutely. I, I love it. They, I mean, right now it's the holidays, so less people kind of show up around this time, um, which if you do decide to show up, when less people are there, it's more like one-on-one -on -one tutoring. Um, this past Thursday, we had two people there that were both new students. So it's it's kind of interesting going through that cycle of, like you said, a lot of the students that have been coming the last year or so have their applications in now. They've taken their LSAT and have their applications in, which is great. So um, they've been going really well. They, uh, a lot of times at first, will have... We'll talk a lot about general questions with the LSAT before we get into specific ones, just to see if anyone has general questions about, say, flaw questions or whatever it may be, and then go into specific logical reasoning and logic game questions. And then I always tell them that if they have a reading comp question, even though, because um, Nathan, as you would always say, it was it's hard to get through a full reading comp passage and all the questions in a two-hour time period when you have so many questions. So what I tell them is if we don't have, you know, 30 minutes at the end to do a reading comp, send me their question and I can email back an explanation of that if there's not, or if they press the ask question on the demon and want just another explanation to kind of go over. So it's been, it's been going really well though. Usually when the, it picks up, there's about 10 to 15 people that show up. We um, get a really good relationship between the the regulars that show up. And I will say that's, what I've seen a lot of people make improvements is when they consistently are showing up now on Thursday and Sundays for premium users. But, you know, we just started the Sundays. So before it was just the Thursdays, but the people who would consistently show up and 
have the questions, but not not only have the questions, but when I would explain it, if they didn't completely get the explanation they needed, they would ask a follow-up question. And those those people are the ones that I've seen make really substantial improvements. And one thing I will say about the extra helps that I really like is everyone is supportive of each other. So I, there hasn't been any situation where someone's asked a question that another person thought was a re- ridiculous question because everyone understands that everyone's at different um, stages of their LSAT journey. So it's it's been going pretty good. That's awesome. Well, thanks, Shay. Um, do you have anything else that you want to add? Last tips? Last tips, I'll say, I know that one of the questions Annalisa uh, asked me about was, what are the, you know, biggest struggles you see some people have? I mentioned one earlier about the not planning it. But then also, I think a lot of people don't give themselves enough time um, to study for the LSAT. So a lot of people that are just now looking into, maybe they're in their senior year of undergrad, and they're like, oh, I want to go to law school next fall. Research and, you know, realize that, oh, there's an LSAT in January and LSAT in February and just rush to take it rather than giving themselves enough time and taking a year off potentially to study. Um, and so that's one, I know that's one of the questions she asked. And that's one thing I try to tell people all the time, like don't cut yourself short. If you're still making improvements um, and you've only given yourself like two months, give yourself a little bit more time to make improvements and potentially go to law school for free or get paid for law school. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, Shay, We'll, uh, I'm sure you've got <laughs> better things to do with the rest of your Sunday. So we will, uh, let you go there. But, um, Shay is, uh, Shay Daly is a law student at the Ohio State University Moritz School of Law. She's, uh, an airplane mechanic. Yes. <laughs> She's a, uh, an LSAT tutor and, uh, part of the thinking LSAT and LSAT Demon family. So thanks a lot, Shay. Really nice to catch up with you. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. See ya. You want to move on with the rest of this agenda? Yeah. You ready to roll right into it? it? Sure. Pearls versus turds. So right now on the scoreboard, we have seven pearls. In other words, seven pieces of advice that we've received through this segment of the program. We've given a thumbs up to. We have 26 turds, so not a lot of good advice floating around there, and 13 ties, so things that we thought had some merit, but not enough to give it a pearl. Today, we get an email that was forwarded to us by Matt. Thank you, Matt. Um, This is from the... Do we want to read the school here? I'm not sure exactly what we're going to dive into. This is... Yeah, this is... So, I guess we should name the school... um, which I I don't even know what the school is. NSU Shepherd Broad School of Law. <laughs> Do we have any idea what this school is? Maybe we should look at the um, 509. The URL is nova.edu. Let's see here. Nova Southeastern. Hmm. NSU Florida. Yeah. So Nova Southeastern University in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Um, I don't know their ranking, but you know we can look at their LSAT scores and their undergraduate GPAs to get kind of an idea uh, what type of people end up going to a school like this. Yeah, um, their fiftieth percentile LSAT is a one hundred and fifty, 
and their 50th percentile undergraduate GPA is a 3.1. Hmm. They admit people, I mean, their 25th percentile LSAT is a 148, and their 25th percentile undergraduate GPA is a 2.8. So, you know, <laughs> they are a uh, regional school. They are still charging people, according to the 509, $20,000 a semester to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a... Um, or a year, we don't know what that. Yeah, means. unless the form is fucked up, which good job ABA. We don't even know whether this is per year or per semester. It does say per semester. Um, it seems like that would be pretty cheap if it was actually per year twenty thousand. Yeah, I don't think it that does. There's that. I, I can't think of a law school that's actually twenty thousand dollars a year. For yeah. uh, it says the same tuition for resident and non-resident. So I I got to think that that's probably twenty thousand dollars a semester. So we're looking at you know. All, all in, um, well over $100,000 it'll cost you to get your JD from the school. The signaling factor of going to a school like this is worth exactly zero because you know they're, they're admitting so many people with such low LSAT and GPAs that it's just a um, decidedly regional school. And uh, you know it wouldn't be a stretch to say that they're kind of a bottom feeder among the ABA schools with numbers like that. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, do you want to um, check out this uh, brilliant email of advice? Yeah, so the email subject line is building your personal statement. The first sentence or paragraph says, your personal statement is an important component of your law school application. Think of it as your interview, but in writing. Okay. Okay. Focus on your reasons to study law and become a lawyer. Okay, Mm. I would say that's a turd. Because it's going to get a lot of people to start talking about how they've been interested in criminal law <laughs> since they were a child. Okay, that right? was bullet number one. Yep. We yeah. got five bullets here. Okay, next one. Be genuine about your passion and drive for law school and show the admissions committee, which is odd. They capitalize admissions but not committee. I've seen some schools capitalize both. <laughs> I would actually encourage all law schools to capitalize neither. Right. You're not some like, you know, Gestapo that's like <laughs> or maybe you are, I don't know. Certainly not just capitalize admissions but not committee. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna die. <laughs> Anyways. Um, be genuine about your passion and drive for law school and show the admissions committee why you belong here. Avoid gimmicks. <laughs> okay, well, now you're really encouraging people to just like let loose on their true inner emotions here, and this is not going to be good, but I mean, they're bottom third, feeders. The third bullet point is just totally telling, right? They're just like, avoid gimmicks. Next. So they don't like, what do you mean by that? What's a gimmick? I don't, what do you mean? Anyway. Yeah. That's like saying, you know, I'm, I'm in favor of justice. Everyone is in favor of justice, even sad to say, but terrorists, right? They have their own idea of what justice is and they're trying to get it. Yeah. But it doesn't really mean anything until you say what that means. Okay. Well, anyways, um, the next paragraph for most applicants, a statement, two or three pages in length. Interesting construction there. A statement two or three pages in length is sufficient to convey your story and your passion. (laughs) Wow, they're suggesting that some applicants should be writing more than three pages. That would be 
a disaster. Remember that your statement is one part of your application. Together with your resume and your recommendations, your personal statement will tell us about your employment, community experience, and academic achievements. Plan to use the different parts of your application strategically to present a complete and balanced picture of yourself. Again, this is all kind of telling. Proofread. All that's kind of obvious. It's like, that's not really a tip. Yeah. (laughs) But, all right. Be strategic here. Don't just write fuck you in your personal statement. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Proofread. Proofread again. And proofread a third time. Oh, okay. So apparently three times is all you need. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's not beat them up too bad because that's at least, uh, you know, that's, that's a good start. So it's a good start. I can't hate on them for saying you need to proofread it multiple times. Yeah. Well, let me add a little tip here. When it comes to proofreading, I would suggest reading your sentences out loud. In other words, you need to be able to hear them with your ears, not just with your mind. And, uh, if you can read them without, stuttering or taking deep breaths that's a good start but it can help you catch a lot of stupid mistakes yeah i like your tip of printing it out as well sometimes it's just different you can't see it when it's on the screen but you print it out and then it's all this shit just jumps right off the page at you yeah yeah Last paragraph. Once you have perfected... Oh, no, wait, there's more. Great. Once you have perfected your personal statement, it is time to submit your application. We're looking forward to reading it and getting to know you better. Okay. For more information, contact us directly to discuss your application and personal statement. Hmm. Yeah. Contact us directly so you can spill the beans on how... on your situation. Okay. Ooh. Bad intro sentences from admitted students. So yeah, Wait. so just to so just a little peek behind the curtain uh, curtain here. If you go to um, if you go to to law.nova.edu/slash I guess admissions/slash personal statements, or there's a tab on the uh, there's a admissions I guess maybe at the top of the page, and then whatever. Go to go to law.nova.edu/slash admission, and then there's a tab for personal statements. And you can see all of these personal statements. What we're looking at here, Ben, on our agenda is just, uh, it looks like ADOT copied the first sentence out of these, because uh, they have five personal statements from admitted students. And these people did not volunteer to be reamed out on the show. And so I didn't feel like we wanted to really name them or, you know, kill them too badly on the show. But when I read, I mean, I just skimmed through these personal statements and they're so bad. Um, yeah. So what yeah. we have here is just the first sentence. I, I have the other, I have the webpage up, Ben. Um, so I will, uh, if need be, I'll, I'll read you the second sentence of some of these. Okay. <laughs> so great. This is good. I, I'm glad to cl- that you clarified that because these sentences are not in the email, but they're w- what we got by following the link in the email. Correct. Right? Cause yes. the first sentence says your personal statement, personal statement is underlined and that takes you to this page. Yeah. There's a, there's a link that says, so it, at the top of this page, it says uh, an important part of the application. Well, blah, 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 blah. 
Meet five NSU law students the same way we met them through their personal statements. We've also added their words since enrolling at Shepherd Broad College of Law. We're delighted to call these students NSU Law Sharks. <laughs> their, ma- <laughs> their mascot is a shark. Okay, I don't know. Cool. Law sharks, dude. That's like for their um, their fucking volleyball team or whatever. They've got some jerseys that have NSU law sharks. So anyway, um, without naming names here, uh, want to read this first sentence of yeah. the first personal yeah, statement? So the first example has this as its first sentence. My passion for engineering <laughs> was sparked when I realized I wanted to follow in the footsteps of my uncle who is a mechanical engineer. <laughs> okay, wait, hold up. So you're talking about your passion. You're talking about engineering, your passion for engineering. And the subject of your sentence is that passion. And you're talking about your uncle, who is a mechanical engineer. My question right now is, why are you going to law school? And why are you telling me about this passion? Yeah, I mean, the, the root of that sentence is, my passion was sparked. Mm-hmm. Right. For one, you don't want to talk about, just don't say the word passion. It's just such bullshit. For two, it's not a passion about law. It's a passion for engineering. Mm-hmm. The verb there is was sparked. Wait, what? Yeah. The verb phrase. Yeah. Was sparked. <laughs> My passion was sparked when, and then it's when I realized. So he's also talking about him. He's, he's talking about his own, mental state, which is like another real common, just annoying thing that people do is they like to talk about themselves realizing or knowing or feeling things, thinking things. Yeah. Instead of just saying what you actually did. Um, that's the one that they put up top. I mean, I skimming through the rest of this. It's not the rest of it is not horrible. But, Does he want to become an IP lawyer or something? I guess uh, that would. It's unclear. You know, he's talking about his college career. He keeps talking about engineering. In the last paragraph, he gets into the Shepherd Broad College of Law is right in my backyard, and so now he's real specifically <laughs> talking about the school exactly. And so I can see why. You know, I mean, this it just seems to me like he applied to one school. Yeah. And like, obviously he's going to get in his, I bet his numbers are like way higher than the average numbers at the school. But anyway, um, next one, next one. Yeah. In my eighth. Oh dear. Oh dear. (laughs) I know when I read this, I just like, I immediately started laughing. I was just like, what (laughs) are you fucking kidding me? You're telling me about your eighth grade yearbook, but all right, sorry, go ahead. That's okay. So in my eighth grade yearbook, each student filled out a mini biography answering simple questions like birthday favorite color and fondest school memory oh can i keep reading yeah go ahead all right so this is so yeah one question that still rings in my mind is (laughs) by the way the phrase in my mind never ever does not ever need to be in your personal statement no no it's like i believe i cut it one question that still rings in my mind is, quote, if you had one wish, what would it be? My wish was to become the United States Attorney General. Oh, geez. Oh, my gosh. Oh, geez. I can't believe it. 
Well, heck, you might as well go to Mars, too. <laughs> yeah, be an astronaut, because, I mean, like, and you're when you're in eighth grade, oh, dear God. I'm wondering how many U.S. Attorney Generals there have been in the United States. Hmm. Anyways, it's someone. it's roughly about as difficult as being president. Yeah, we've played this game on the show before, right? Like Supreme Court justice or president. Yeah, yeah. U.S. Attorney General. I mean, there's got to be probably more attorneys general than there are uh, presidents. So it's probably slightly easier to become attorney general than it is okay. to become. President. I'm on Wikipedia, and it looks like I don't know why some of these folks. Oh, some of these folks were just acting as attorney general. Yeah. But they weren't actually attorney general. For the ones that actually became U.S. attorney general, we have 85 in the history of this country. So How many has Trump had? Hmm, interesting question. I'm sure he chews through them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, so he's had one, two, three acting U.S. attorney generals and two that were actually appointed Jeff Sessions and <laughs> William Barr. He's <laughs> had five? Five. Wow. Barack Obama had three for his eight years. And two of them were actually appointed. One of them was acting. Ooh, George W. had a bunch too. He had one, two, three, four acting and three that were actually appointed. Still, Bill Clinton only had two. Yeah. Interesting. He had one acting and one uh, appointed. Hmm. Okay, anyway, so your chances of becoming a U.S. Attorney General is slim. Yeah, I mean, I hated this example, personal statement, just because it it makes the writer look like a child because yeah. you're talking about eighth grade, and then it further makes you just seem really naive because my wish was to become U.S. Attorney General. I mean, do you know what law school you are definitely not going to become Attorney General if you go to that law school? (laughs) This one. So, you know, I mean, she goes on to say, well, my dream has changed now and I don't want to be in the Department of Justice. But it's just like, okay, well, then why are you talking about that? Oh, my gosh. You know, we're not learning anything about you. But anyway, next one. Yeah. Okay. So I got to get off this Wikipedia article. Okay. Number three, an unusually cool wind swept through the states of Miami's Overton community, pushing littered cups and crumpled napkins smack against chain linked fences and around the ankles of the old ladies protesting from their lawn chairs. (laughs) (laughs) So wait, hold on. What is the, um, subject here. Oh, the subject is an unusually cool wind and the verb is swept. Okay. Yeah, it's about it looks like it's 35 words. Um I really encourage people to stick to a hard limit of like 25 or 30 maybe words. People get themselves in lots of trouble when they use too many words. But, you know, what are you learning? What have you learned about this person from that first sentence? They're sensitive to the wind and the trash that's blowing around them. Yeah. I don't know. The subject of the system is, or the subject of the sentence is the wind, an unusually cool wind. There is an active (laughs) verb there, which is swept. But, like, this is, it's just this ridiculous cinematic opening. 
What happens next? Anything useful? Um, it says the 15 black women whose ages ranged from 60 to 85 wore their house coats and held signs which called for better housing for seniors, respect for the elderly, and warned Miami-Dade County officials that God don't like ugly. It's, oh. you know, it's not, <laughs> it just has nothing to do with this person. Yeah. The next sentence, seated in front of their boarded duplexes, the women sang spirituals about marching to Zion and climbing Jacob's ladder. In between songs, one woman, then the next, took time to talk to me, the only reporter covering the protest of unlivable conditions in the shuttered, government-subsidized duplexes. So, you know, that's a whole paragraph now, right? That's like probably... 15% 15% of the personal statement, maybe 20% mm-hmm. of the personal statement. Mm-hmm. And I've learned that this person's a reporter who is, you know, sensitive to these issues apparently. But like it's on your resume that you did this job and your action that you're taking so far is nothing. This, yeah. this like, I haven't seen this person do anything other than be there. Yep. And it, it just like it, it, it go, it, it like keeps going on with basically the plight of the downtrodden, you know, it's just like, well, here's how tough these people have it, mm-hmm. which doesn't have anything to do with this. Like, what are you going to do about it? It just doesn't have anything to do with what this person actually does about it. So I don't, <laughs> I can't imagine that that, is as effective as a personal statement as you effective of a personal statement as you could write. Yeah. Next one. And yeah. Number four as an American by nationality, a Palestinian by heritage and a Venezuelan by memory, by memory, the recollection of my childhood is rich in passionate debates amongst, amongst family, friends and community members on contentious topics affecting the international arena and its people. Okay, so you were a kid. My childhood is rich. That's your subject. No, they're actually, sorry, the subject is the recollection of my childhood is rich in passionate debates. Yeah, the okay. recollection of my childhood. That's the subject <laughs> of that sentence. Yeah. It's just so many words, and it's like, where is it going? I mean, it doesn't... <laughs> Well, it's just like too grandiose too. Okay, let's um, let's assume for a second that this person's family, friends, and community members did engage in contentious debates on topics affecting the international arena and its people. <laughs> um, like, well, I'm okay. Yeah, I mean, almost every debate has something to do with people, even if you're talking about the environment or animals in the environment. But, um. <sighs> Okay, so were were you participating in those debates? If you were, how old were you? <laughs> what am I supposed? Am I supposed to be wowed by this? Um, I don't know. It sounds what a lot like a for? diversity statement that he's just sort of throwing out. You know his his like um, cultural background, right? Ethnic, sure. cultural, whatever background. But it's not. I mean, it's like yeah. If I'm supposed to be impressed that you're family had passionate debates. <laughs> and this seems like overselling affecting the international arena. 
Like, I don't know. Lots of people have opinions about lots of things. <laughs> Last one? Yeah. It was while I was a nursing student. It. It was while I was a nursing student completing requisite clinical rotations and gaining firsthand experience as a healthcare provider when I first became aware of the systemic problems that exist within modern-day healthcare system. Oh, sorry, within the modern-day healthcare system. Okay, by the way, this phrase, first-hand experience, I, I cut it out of personal statements that uh, we review with clients often. I don't know. For some reason, they feel the need to point out, look, I was really there. Um, we get it. Well, it's hard to get second-hand something. experience. I mean, like, you, <laughs> you either got experience or you didn't. Yeah, either you did stuff at this place or you didn't. Yeah, don't, right. So, like, don't tell me I gained experience. Tell me what you did. Like, be more specific. Yeah. And again, this sentence is about becoming aware. Um, it's your mental state. Uh, I don't really care about your awareness of the quote systemic problems that exist within the modern day healthcare system. I'm sure that you encountered some problems. The idea that you have an understanding of the systemic problems seems doubtful. <laughs> and it doesn't really tell me about you either. It's just like, oh, I'm here and I'm seeing problems. Yeah, this person uh, is an RN, you yeah. know, which my mom um, <clears throat> was an RN before she retired. And I have like a lot of respect for RNs, but you're <laughs> it, like people th think they're going to come in with like some special knowledge of national or worldwide issues. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. And they're going to tell the law schools, like you should admit me to school because I have special knowledge of this issue. Yeah. And it's like, well, the truth is that everybody knows these issues exist. And anyway, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Put yourself in the leadership positions that are <laughs> intended to solve these problems and it's possible that a lot of these problems are not being solved because the leadership has its own interests. But it's also pro possible and fairly likely that these problems are inherently difficult to solve. And when you get up there and start you know, waving your gun around and saying, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to solve it like this. I was a nurse for six months and I know what the problems are. It's like, yeah, but you also have to deal with the insurance companies and the other stakeholders. What are you going to do about them? Oh, I don't know, but they shouldn't be doing that. A lot of people like to tell other people what they should do, but they don't actually have a solution for that person that will get them on board and help them solve your problem. Anyways, I'm going on a tangent, but uh, this person is pretending to be an expert in something that they're not. <laughs> the uh, the writing, obviously, in all of these is suspect. Um, what's the subject of that sentence? It. <laughs> it and the verb is <laughs> was so the sentence starts with it was while <laughs> I mean you could cut that you could just <laughs> yeah when I yeah when I was a nursing student <laughs> I <laughs> I don't know anyway well hey <clears throat> um, maybe we can leave this there I, I don't want to like shit on these people too much I just um 
when I saw this, I, I was like, it made me sad, basically. Mm. Because these are the personal statements that this school is holding out as like, look at these. Like, yeah. Look at these awesome future, you know, kick-ass advocates. Like mm-hmm. warriors, gladiators sharks. of the English language. <laughs> yeah, look at these law sharks. <laughs> and I don't know, it's just, it's like, it made me feel... Um, <laughs> I know that we we always get like accusations of elitism, Ben. But when you look at the numbers that this school, like the the types of people that end up going to this type of school, I mean, we could look at the job outcomes and stuff. I don't know what those are, but (laughs) they can't be great. Mm -hmm. It does seem to me, Ben, that there needs to be a significant belt tightening in the uh, law school game. Yeah. These schools, in other words, shouldn't exist or they should be substantially cheaper to get more on par with the risks you're taking by going to them and the likely income you're going to generate once you leave. If they were cheaper, I wouldn't care. I'd be like, okay, well, totally you get what you pay for. Oh, if they were free, be like, yeah, great. Absolutely. Everybody go, yeah. you know, maybe Bernie Sanders will get elected Ben and then make like just all education free for everybody all the time. I mean, Hey, it's a nice uh, thought, I suppose. I don't know that practically it would actually work, but if that were the case, well, then, then you're going to get an overconsumption of education. Well, there already is an overconsumption of education. <laughs> the problem now is... Well, then is, you're going to get even more. <laughs> yeah, well, sure. But if it's an overconsumption of education that, the, that, that we have decided as a society that we are going to fund, mm-hmm. that's one thing. But instead, we have the you know, perverse incentives. The way we've got it set up is, oh, no we're just loaning this money to these people. And then the schools have an incentive to just jack up the tuitions as high as they want because the actual students themselves are not paying the money in real time. Mm-hmm. Right. There's the yeah. disconnect. So these kids just, you know, they're 22 years old and they just sign. <laughs> not everybody's as smart as Shay. Who's going to be like, fuck that. I'm going on a scholarship, you know, or I'm not going at all. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> so, People just, yeah, they just sign their name on the dotted line and then end up, you know, borrowing over $100,000 to go to a school like this where there's just no way that your employment outcomes justify that type of of an investment. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I don't know. And I mean, I'm sure that these like people have to be defaulting on these loans at a pretty high clip. And what happens is we've, and I don't, I'm not bitching about the money. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I'm not personally like, oh fuck that. I don't want my tax dollars supporting. That's not what I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I don't care. What I really worry about is just saddling all of these people with this crazy amount of debt when they're you know just not the the employment outcomes can't be very good. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's that. What's that? Don't go to law school. Uh, don't don't pay for law school. I was going to say don't don't go to Nova Southeastern University. But hold on a second. Let me look at the scholarships. Mm. The, I'm looking at the. This is a one year old one that I have in front of me. But it looks like 30 percent of the class gets grants, um, and the grants are not huge. So 25 uh, percent of the class gets less than half tuition. Five percent gets half to full tuition. Yeah. You know what? Now look at the grant amount, Ben. The grant amount. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. So they're they're actually just not giving very many scholarships. They're just 
like the 75th percentile grant is 15 grand. Yeah. Against a, I guess an annual tuition of 40 grand. But then they say half to full is 5%. I don't know. This is weird. Well, yeah. Cause you could 5% of the class could get more than that 75th percentile grant. So that makes sense. Yeah. It's gotta be yeah. 40 grand a year. And most people are just not getting scholarships. I mean, if you are, you're getting, you know, they're going to throw $10,000 at you. That's the 50th percentile grant amount. They're going to throw 10 grand at you and make you feel, you know, you think you're special because you got a $10,000 discount on a $40,000 a year. Um, and by the way, they do eliminate, looks like about 20 per, 25% of those. This is not good. I mean, geez, there's, there's 200 people who went to this school, right? Full-time and part-time combined. It's just a little racket. It's just a little group of people making a bunch of money off of 200 folks who, I mean, that's what we need to know. We need to know the job outcomes. I guess we can look that up on that ABA site, but even then we have to know the salary. I don't think they disclose that. I just, it seems like. We can just infer based on the admissions standards. I mean, when, when the average person, the 50th percentile, the average person at the school has a 150 LSAT. I just, uh, well, <laughs> I'm assuming you're right. That that can't be great, but I, I'm just curious, like what is, what are the actual numbers? Um, what percentage of people are getting a job is, that requires a JD and what's their median income? <laughs> and then you say, okay, well you just spent a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars in, especially when you consider opportunity costs and interests, um, how much money are you making now? Making fifty grand a year? Yeah, you could have done that doing something else, maybe more enjoyable. Yeah, we could be wrong. If uh, if anybody out there listening wants to make the case that uh, Nova Southeastern University in Fort Lauderdale is actually a good investment, feel free to make your case. Email help at thinkinglsat.com. We'd love to talk about it, but it's, yeah. you know, like <laughs> you're just going to have to show me that it's worth incurring six figures of debt to go to this school. And um, that's going to be a tough sell, I think. Yeah. Okay. You want, you want to read this next one? Sure. Uh, this is an email feeling, the subject says, feeling out law school. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. So don't go. Yeah. <laughs> don't, <laughs> certainly don't borrow money for it. Um, ben and Nathan, in recent months, I have become interested in the idea of going to law school. I finished a history MA in 2017, but chose not to pursue a PhD in large part because the job prospects were horrendous. This is already a bad start. You know what I mean? Like when people say, well, I thought about doing this other thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, I don't care about the other thing. Do you know what lawyers do? And do you want to do that? Mm -hmm. Like the fact that you thought about a PhD and decided not to do it is just not material. But anyway, um, since then, I have been somewhat adrift, but managed to learn enough about IT to obtain a job as support for a local bank. After a year of working in IT, I have found that I enjoy problem solving and helping people, but I'm not married to the job. As I began to consider putting time and money into obtaining certifications to advance a career in IT, it led me to think about what my other options might be, and law school came to mind. Whoa. Wait. You're going to associate law school with problem solving and helping people? I mean, that could be associated with almost any yeah. part of the economy, part yeah. of the service economy. That's what they do. People solve problems and they help them. 
help other people. I like that this person is at least, you know, thinking outside the box. Uh, we've got a signature here is just a, so thanks a for writing in. Um, you know, I like that you're just considering all your options. I think that's where happiness really comes from professionally is that you just try a bunch of shit and see what sticks. So, but right. (laughs) Problem solving and helping people. Mm. Anyway, growing up, I was always told that the legal profession was cutthroat and that most lawyers were unhappy in their jobs. I wonder if this person has lawyers in their family. Most people don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Accordingly, I never really considered law school as a valid option when I was still an undergraduate or even graduate student. Now, what may be a mid-20s version of a midlife crisis has me looking into becoming a lawyer. Okay, so it's a quarter-life crisis. A did a master's in history, decided not to do a PhD, and now having a midlife crisis thinking about, or a quarter-life crisis thinking about becoming a lawyer. Okay. Since the idea struck me, I began to read forums on the internet about the state of the legal profession and law school. Soon enough, I realized that the job market wasn't great. Still world's better than a history, uh, than a history profession. Got it. But that the key seemed to be going to the best law school you could get into and minimizing your debt load. I also learned that law schools gave scholarships, something I never knew before, and that the LSAT was the key to obtaining them. In researching the LSAT, I stumbled upon your show and have been a dedicated listener for several months. Don't pay for law school is exactly my kind of catchphrase as a 26-year-old with meager savings that understands the concept of opportunity cost. Last week, I read Don't Go to Law School Unless and found it to be very helpful in thinking about law school in terms of a cost-benefit analysis. Sounding better, huh, Ben? Yep. I mean, the fact that you read that book, Don't Go to Law School Unless, means that you're, yeah, you're thinking. I mean, you're actually considering whether this is a good investment or not. Yep. My question is, should I study for and take the LSAT and let that guide my decision-making from there? I have a 3.77 undergrad GPA and scored a 152 on my diagnostic with the logic games being by far my worst section. I think by investing time and money into resources like the demon, I could see significant improvement in that score. At what score do you think it becomes worth it to start applying to schools? 165? Do you think it's foolish to invest time and money into the LSAT as essentially a litmus test? Or is thinking of it that way embracing the sunk cost fallacy? Hmm. Thanks, well, A. Yeah, like I think to some extent, if you spend all this time and money and then feel like, I don't know if it's actually the sunk cost fall- fallacy because you haven't made the decision yet. The sunk cost fallacy, I would assume, applies after you've made. Yeah, you. It seems to me that you would, um, if you did all this, then you might fall victim to the sunk cost fallacy. Maybe that's what A means, (laughs) because like, if you spent six months prepping, then you might be like, "Well, I've come this far. I guess I might as well keep going." You know, that would be embracing the sunk cost fallacy. So I don't, but. But anyway, Ben, my gut reaction here, my snap judgment, mm. 
is that we can extrapolate from A's starting score. Yeah. 152 on your diagnostic, especially when logic games is by far your worst section means that it's not going to be a huge leap for you to make it into the one sixties. Yeah. You have good grades. A 3.77 undergraduate GPA is pretty damn good. And 165, I would think that with a few months of studying, A, you should be able to make that leap from a 152 to a 165. And 152 to a 170 or a 172 is not like unheard of by any means, right? That's like totally doable. Yeah. I mean, your chances are definitely lower. Um, it's not, we're not saying that it's easy, but it's definitely within reach. Whereas for some folks, that seems out of reach. So I, yeah. And the fact that you've read, don't go to law school unless, and you listen to the podcast apparently enough to know that book and what we say about law school. I would say take it. And if you crush it, then you know, you can go for free and you can go to a decent law school and you can keep going on this exploration. Like if you go to law school for free and you absolutely hate your first year, you can leave and your loss is your opportunity cost, but you'll know for sure that you'll never want to walk down that path again. At very, you know, some cost, but not huge. And I'm sure you'll get something out of the experience and it might expose you to something else that you want to pursue. But if you do well and you like your first year of law school, then damn, maybe this is the right place for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I think for, for a, I mean, the investment that you should make is in talking to lawyers, right? You should like pound the pavement, get Rachel Gezerse's book, the law career playbook by Rachel Gezerse and start like making some cold calls to lawyers and figure out what lawyers actually do. Uh-huh. And, because that's what's going to really tell you whether you should be on this path or not. There's no point to, there would, I, I can't imagine that studying for the LSAT for three months or spending money on the demon or whatever. I mean, we're talking ourselves out of a customer here, but I don't, I don't see how that would be the best, you know, bellwether of, uh, you know, a predictor of whether this person should be a lawyer or not. I think the well, horsepower is clearly I there. I don't have I don't have problems with it. I mean, because he could study for a month and absolutely hate it. So that would be like an indicator to jump ship. Oh, too. hating the LSAT? Yeah. I just don't think that's going to happen. This person seems too smart. They have a master's in history. They have good undergraduate grades. They have a 152 diagnostic. They suck at the games, which means basically all you need to do is just get better at the games and you'll be immediately like a 160. No, anyway. I don't know. It's only 200 bucks. I would say it's a small <laughs> drop in the bucket. I mean, I, I know it sounds like I'm just like trying to push him. Yeah, but it's like, I don't know. Like, you could just start today. Like, talking to attorneys, you have to start reaching out to them. All right. um, well, I'm, both, I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I think he should do that as well. I'm just saying, like, it's an easy thing to start and just see, like, hey, is this, can sure. I quickly get my score up? That's a, that's an opportunity. I mean, that's an, I we've talked about the LSAT before being sort of like a gatekeeper, and if it kind of comes easily to him, then it's not a 
great indication that you're going to love law school, but no, I fucking hated law. Yeah. But it's, it can be like, if you hate the LSAT, eh, I mean, a lot of, a lot of law stuff is related to that. And your opportunities are going down now too, because you're not going to get to as many schools. And yeah, I think it's pretty clear if you hate the LSAT law school is not for you. Yeah, I mean that's just the odds are uh, there can be exceptions, of course. But if you really suck at the LSAT, you're not going to really do that well, I don't think, in law school. Um, n- I'm painting with a broad brush, but like I am going to get most people with that. Like that's pretty, 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 pretty sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Anyway, um, anything else for A? No. Good luck. Thanks, A. Thanks for listening. All right, last one. Yeah. Hello, Ben and Nathan. Ben, Nathan, and the fantastic behind-the-scenes team. Okay. I'm a new listener to the podcast. I've enjoyed the first few episodes so much that I imported Nathan's Logical Reasoning Encyclopedia and Logic Games Playbook. I imported it. Okay, where to? I'm asking Santa for the demon this year. It's what Jesus would have wanted. Hmm. Okay, we've got a lot of characters here. Um... <laughs> My question is, do you advise signing up for the March exam or the June exam? Oh, by the way, there's April. Um, hmm. Is there a May exam? Oh, Uh, keep going. Keep reading. Okay. Situational context setting. (laughs) Situational context, colon, setting, colon. I live in Tokyo, Japan. Ah, konnichiwa. There is one test center where I live where there's one test center where I can take the LSAT. They offer the test four times a year, March, June, September, October, and December. The September, October is, uh, we don't, it's one or the other. How much have I studied? I don't know. I have just begun studying for the LSAT. My cold diagnostic was a 164 on the June 2007 test. Damn. <coughs> Sorry, Whoa. I'm coughing. Don't die. Um, <laughs> I'm not laughing at your score. That's incredible. Yeah. Job, colon. I am a teacher. January, March, and April are the slowest times of the year, so I could study at my desk during those months. May is the busiest month of the year for me. Okay. Well, anyways, um, <laughs> I do not take a lot of money. Make a I lot do not of make money. a lot of money, so I am trying to avoid post postponing the test. I'm applying for the fee waiver. Thank you all for thank you for all that you do. Have a happy holiday season, Eric. I think Eric is trying to be very concise. Thank you, Eric. Yes. I appreciate that. Um, I think with your 164, uh, what is it? It's January now. You could take, the, I would shoot for March. And if your score doesn't budge by then, maybe go for June. But well, it's geez, pretty clear. It seems like. Hey, law schools yeah. care about your highest score. If you're trying to go to law school starting in 2021, sounds like Eric mm-hmm. is not on the 2020 admission cycle at all. Yeah. If you're trying to go to law school in 2021, you know, you've you're in Tokyo where they only have it four times a year. You can take it three times in one year and five times in two years, and I understand you don't make that much money and I understand you're trying to save money. Saving money on the LSAT is not a good place to try to save money. <laughs> like law school costs $50,000 a year. The LSAT can give you a full ride to law school. Yeah. You need to make this investment in yourself. 164 is an awesome cold diagnostic. I think it's pretty clear you sign up for March. Yeah. Bust your ass now, get your 170 something in March, you're done. 
But uh, if not, it's an awesome head start to get yourself ready for June. You retake it in June. You then get your 170, whatever. Um, you'll have a final opportunity in September or October, and you'll still be able to apply at the very beginning of the next cycle. I can't stress enough how important it is to apply early in the cycle. <laughs> like this time of year, Ben, we just constantly do you, are, do you find yourself Ben having like the same fucking discussion over and over and over with people at this mm-hmm. time of year Yeah, where you're like, really, you're going to take the January LSAT and then apply, mm. you know, it's just like, and people are like, well, I, 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 I don't have my best LSAT score yet, so I have to wait. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. You should definitely take the January LSAT, but you should not apply this cycle after that. You should wait till mm-hmm. September and apply at the beginning of the next cycle so that you're applying when, you know, all of the like ballers are applying. But I'm 24 and I'm 24 years old. Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> I'm 24 or I'm 34 or I'm 44. I don't give a fuck. I don't, it doesn't make it. I don't care. What does that have to do with anything? You should yeah. be applying with the best score you can and you should be applying early in the cycle. If you're not applying in, you need to apply in the previous year, okay? <laughs> like, you need to apply in 2020 if you want to go to law school in 2021. Uh-huh. Applying in 2021 to try to go to law school in 2021, yes, the law schools will try to convince you that that's a good idea. But, you know, law schools are trying to sell you a super expensive product. I mean, yeah. we last time, Ben, we went through that spreadsheet from that former student of ours who had all the scholarship offers, you know, she's got now mm-hmm. months to like renegotiate those scholarship offers. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's other people who are going to be applying for applying for the same class as her. Well, they're just basically lining up to pay her tuition. So your call. Yeah, it's your call. It's your life. And, you know, I just, it's like, it's, it's so obvious. It's like so clear to me. If I were the boss of you, it would be so easy. I would just be like, yes, you're applying in September for the following September. Get your shit ready. <laughs> Get your LSAT ready. Get your personal statement, letters of recommendation, transcripts, resume, all that shit. Get it all ready. And in September, we're applying for the next September. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Like that's if you're going to do it the right way, like if I was paying for you or if I was like, yeah, if I was like your dad and I was like in charge of the purse strings here, like if I was going to be, you know, whatever, helping you out with rent or something while you were in school, it would be very clear. Like you would be applying in September, <laughs> you know, maybe October, but <laughs> just no, it's like, Yes, you should absolutely take the LSAT again. You really do need to get the best score you can get. But that almost always means you're probably going to wait another cycle. Yeah. And it's not that big of a deal. You'll <laughs> you'll have offers before you know it. You just they'll be good offers instead of being shitty offers. But people want the shitty offers now. <laughs> people are like, "No, I want to apply in January so I can get shitty offers and go to law school this fall." Um Anyway, I don't know why I'm yelling about this so much. Eric is not going to do that. Thank you, Eric. Good luck. Yeah, Eric, dude, 164 cold diagnostic kicks ass. So, you know, like you're, you're going to get your 170 something on the LSAT 
and you're going to get a full ride to law school and that's fantastic. Yeah. But go ahead and sign up, like take March, take June again, if you need to, Hey, put it on a credit card. Really? Like I'm not, I'm like the world's biggest don't go into debt advocate. Mm. Uh, almost everyone should just cut up their credit cards because they're so bad at managing their debt. But like Eric, go ahead and put the LSAT on your credit card. <laughs> Cause like if you, if law school is really the right thing for you with a 164 cold diagnostic, you're going to, people are going to be writing you a check to go to their law school. Yeah. Some investments are worth making like Chapman or whatever. They're going to give you full tuition plus a $10,000 stipend. Yep. You know, so you can afford to take the LSAT a couple times if need be. Thanks everyone. As always for listening, you can join, uh, the thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. You can also follow us at thinking LSAT on Instagram and Twitter. For my classes, check out strategyprep.com. For Nathan's classes in L.A. and San Francisco, check out foxlsat.com. I'm in D.C., by the way. Uh, We also have one-on-one tutoring and so forth. Our joint project is lsatdemon.com. You can study for the LSAT on your phone anywhere. Uh, It has a ton of official LSATs, and well, all of them, really. You can also listen to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, and our very own thinkinglsat.com. Leave us a review if you're so inclined on iTunes. It helps get the word out. That was episode 226 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't forget for law school. Yeah.